You're listening to Local Government Insights, a podcast for state and local governments. If you're looking to optimize operations, improve services for your constituents, and maximize revenue without raising taxes, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Local Government Insights podcast, Modernizing Government Leadership, your source and insight for local government technology. My name is Brennan Middleton, and today we have with us Robert Pesapane from FEMA to discuss the importance for local leaders to have a disaster financial plan before an emergency happens and the steps to take in preparing one. Welcome to the show, Robert. It's great to have you. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm glad to uh, have this opportunity to uh, meet with you today and talk about uh, insights from FEMA. Awesome. So really quick before we jump right to the first uh, first question I have for you, Robert, for those listening, Robert is an emergency management professional with over 10 years of state and federal government experience. He currently serves as the director of the Recovery Division for the U.S. Department of Homeland Security's Federal Emergency Management Agency, i.e., all, all of us know FEMA, where he is responsible for providing guidance, leadership, and oversight to state and local governments in an effort to help them recover from all disasters. Robert joins us today to discuss the importance of having a disaster financial plan before an emergency happens and the steps to take in preparing one. So, Robert, if we could just dive right in. First one I have, just to kind of set the stage, local jurisdictions face many different types of emergencies. And what comes to mind quickly for most are tornadoes, fires, hurricanes. First off, like what other types of emergencies have you dealt with? Uh, great question. So I think also routinely we see a lot of uh, flood emergencies throughout the country. And so that's probably the number one risk that communities face is uh, flooding. Uh, but also in FEMA Region 9, where I'm located here in Oakland, California, as you mentioned, we see a lot of fire risks related to wildland fire. Uh, and also in the far western Pacific, uh, we have typhoons that hit our uh, U.S. territories. And then even in Hawaii, uh, volcanic risk uh, in 2018, we had a significant volcanic eruption in Hawaii County. So there's a myriad of risk that uh, uh, local communities face. And it's important really to, to understand the risk profile that a community uh, faces. And, and there's a lot of ways to do that. Uh, most notably is working with your local emergency manager who understands uh, the, hazard, uh, the hazards that that community faces through a deliberate planning process. Excellent. And, and as a disaster occurs, like we all typically hear on the news um, that, you know, federal funds are being provided. And that's really what we're here to talk about today, that process. How do federal grants play a role in disaster recovery? And kind of second part, I'd be curious to know, how does a jurisdiction access those funds and how long does it typically take? Can you talk about that process just a little bit? Right. Well, it depends on the severity of the event. And so uh, when FEMA is engaged, it's a presidentially declared disaster. And so the president declared it uh, uh, a major disaster declaration for that state and community. And so uh, we get engaged uh, through that process. And that's a process that the governor requests through the president. Once that, that major disaster is granted, uh, our FEMA recovery programs really kick in. And the one that uh, most communities have experience with if they've uh, dealt with FEMA is the public assistance program. And that is our grant program where we're, we're reimbursing damages uh, to uh, state, uh, county, local, uh, governmental organizations, private nonprofits. And that assistance starts uh, really immediately uh, available. And we go through a process where uh, one uh, requests uh, uh, public assistance 
support and we go uh, through the state to work uh, those damages and come up with what we call project worksheets and, and do reimbursement. And that's the FEMA process. But as we know, depending on the severity of the event that that community may face, there could be other federal grant programs available and the timeline for those grants are different. And that's where really uh, a county or local government really needs to understand what's out there. And, and part of it is, you know, understanding what the recovery outcomes are and what their needs are. And so not all the programs start the moment a disaster occurs. Some of the other federal programs are uh, uh, appropriate funds from Congress. And so they may come at different times, uh, unlike the FEMA uh, funds are authorized the moment that the president uh, declares a, a major disaster. And, and when we start talking about recovery outcomes, Robert, like, can you talk a little bit about your experience specifically that may help some of those on the line today, like in working with local communities to determine these types of recovery outcomes, like how should they approach that and what level does it start? So, you know, we say that all uh, recovery and all disasters are at the local level because it affects their community. And it's important that, the, that they work together to understand what uh, the impacts that their community has faced and where they want to see their uh, community go in terms of recovery. And that happens, you know, uh, we like to have, you know, recovery conversations prior to the event, but we know many communities face a lot of different challenges on a day-to-day -day basis. So the first time they're, they're dealing with an emergency when that happens and the recovery process really needs to start from the moment that disaster uh, or emergency occurs at the local community because um, uh, time is valuable and you can't get that time back. And so, uh, you know, we'll work, you know, uh, with communities on the response, uh, which is you know, very important uh, to save lives and protect property. But then, you know, there needs to be a concerted effort to to understand what that recovery looks like for that community. And that's really difficult. And so it requires a multitude of partners and stakeholders to come together fairly quickly uh, with some dynamic leadership to start mapping out what those recovery outcomes could be. It could be housing, it could be infrastructure, uh, it could be, uh, you know, uh, depending on the devastation of the community where uh, a large part of a housing stock or, or infrastructure destroyed, what do you want that uh, to look like? And as you start uh, figuring that out, then the uh, conversation comes is how do we fund that, right? Is it uh, some uh, rebuilding funds that FEMA may have authorized? Is it uh, where we need uh, uh, if I'm in a rural community, maybe there's USDA uh, funds available or Farm Service Agency if I'm, if I'm in that rural community. And so there's a multitude of federal programs out there. And then we have to, then the community really needs to start mapping out uh, how they want to fund that. And that's very difficult. Uh, and But to overcome that is if you have a dynamic team with uh, different uh, levels of skills and experience, that's when uh, the community can start really forming uh, its team and start driving towards its recovery outcomes. And, and it really starts with preparation. And uh, if we could take a step back, if you wouldn't mind, for a few moments, I'd love to talk about prior to a disaster actually taking place and all of the different options and the recovery outcomes that you just described. Um, would you spend just a minute talking about, like, how does disaster financial management play a role in planning and preparation for these types of events? Great question. So I think it plays a critical role. And so most communities have, uh, I would imagine, a process where they're looking at the response plans, uh, whether depending on their hazard. So if I have a flood risk, I'm sure the community is working on its flood hazard uh, plan. If, uh, my community has a you know a, a 
fire uh, risk. I'm working on my evacuation routes. And so uh, we have those deliberate processes in place because again, we wanna save lives and protect property. But then when a disaster happens, then you know we have to start focusing on what those recovery plans are. And, and ideally that starts in the uh, preparedness phase. And so as we're working on those response plans, we need to be uh, equally focused on what the recovery plans are. And one of the aspects to those recovery plans is disaster financial management, uh, because that's gonna be critical, as I mentioned, to supporting the recovery outcomes. And so I think spending time to uh, formulate in a deliberate uh, plan what my recovery team looks like, who's on my team, role and responsibilities of the team, and then what are the gaps that I may have in my team that I may have to uh, identify after the fact, either through uh, you know mutual aid with another community that, that's gone through a disaster that I wanna bring in those experts, or I might need voluntary agency support uh, for the long-term, or, or I might need to, um, uh, to uh, get specialized experience uh, to come in and help me navigate through my recovery. And so uh, uh, spending some uh, time before disaster just to talk about these key concepts to make sure that all leaders in local and county government understand that I think uh, is time well spent that will uh, provide, um, will, will uh, save time when the disaster happens. And it's all about saving time and you know moving through the recovery uh, spectrum as fast as possible. Excellent. And, and given the fact that a jurisdiction may realize uh, that they need this sort of disaster financial management plan, if you will, um, one layer deeper, what, what if they realize they need it, what does a jurisdiction, you know, sort of need to have in order to incorporate the plan, like actually take action and develop the plan before emergency happens? So we realize this is possible. We all acknowledge these are regular occurrences. They're happening more frequently, as we all know, across the country and across the world. Um, we need to do this. We have this plan that we need to develop. How do they go about doing that? And what do they need to do to, in order to, to incorporate a plan? Great. Well, you know, I think we have a lot of best practices out there. Uh, and a lot of unfortunate communities have gone through recovery and then uh, either uh, developed plans prior to or had to develop recovery plans afterwards. And so I think the first starting point is to uh, you know, uh, go through one's network to understand what work has been done. And so FEMA is a great resource, state emergency management, uh, county emergency management may already have uh, recovery frameworks in, in, uh, underway or already uh, done. And so I think going through those organizations, uh, uh, having a relationship with the uh, local state emergency management organization is critical uh, because they may have already a framework and concepts uh, underway and also can provide technical expertise in the formation of a local uh, recovery plan. So I would say that's the starting point. I also think getting a strong mandate from um, uh, elected, uh, local elected or appointed uh, leaders uh, to say that this is a priority for our community. And so coming up with a charter and framework that empowers uh, this recovery team uh, identified, I think will, will also be critical and uh, set up a framework for them to, uh, to effectuate the recovery plan. And I want to, I want to touch on one of those key points, Robert, if you don't mind. Just talk about the, the team itself. You mentioned a, discover, or a disaster financial team. What, what does that team assist with and like who is it com comprised of? What are the stakeholders there? Uh, so I, I think, you know, what we envision on this team, again, I think you might have, uh, you know, emergency management uh, partners, but I think it's, it's the partners that we often don't think of. Uh, that we need on this team and so that's the you know uh, 
uh, local financial uh, management coordinator or fiscal agent for that community, somebody who understands disaster or contracting in general, uh, maybe even somebody from payroll who understands uh, the, the pay policies and how they're affected in disasters. And so it's, it's more than just uh, the, the first responders who may make up uh, the immediate recovery plan, but it's the larger uh, role that other uh, uh, services play within the community on the finance side that, that need to be brought to the table because they have a, a integral part, also could be legal counsel. And so and there are different uh, laws and procedures that may be in effect in, in a uh, locally declared disaster. Uh, and so I think having a good uh, the legal team as part of that uh, plan, I think is also critical. And in, and in addition to the team, the skill sets on that team clearly are, are very important as well. And you mentioned it in your earlier response when I was talking about sort of what do they need to have to, in order to sort of create the plan. You mentioned project and portfolio management skills. Um, why are those those particular skills so critical and something you really don't think about when you're pulling together sort of a preparedness team like this? Like what skills, you know, we know the stakeholders, right? You just identify them. Why are the project and sort of portfolio portfolio management skills probably more critical than any? Well, we know uh, recovery is long term. And so we're uh, uh, and, and recovery can be measured in you know months to years, depending on the severity of the event. And so having uh, project managers and portfolio special specialists in certain areas, I think is going to be critical, again, driving to those recovery outcomes. And so since recovery uh, for a community takes so long, it's important to map out project by project, you know, uh, what we need uh, for infrastructure, for housing, and having specialists in those areas that can uh, also understand uh, uh, federal funding and grants, I think will be critical. And so uh, you know, you want to make sure you have a diverse team that covers a wide ranging skills that make up really your community and make sure that they're at the table. They have a seat at the table for that. And so uh, I think the portfolio management, again, is one of those key uh, areas that you would want on your uh, overall recovery team because you're going to be managing a number of funding streams and a number of projects and you want a holistic recovery out, uh, outcome at the end of the day. And so I think it's important to have uh, uh, individuals who can map that out for you and put it on a project timeline. So uh, making sure that the entire team's on track for, for achieving those recovery outcomes. Fantastic. And obviously once a disaster occurs, it seems like oftentimes we sort of, okay, what's, what's next and how do I sort of execute on, on next steps? Like, could you spend just a minute uh, talking about like how jurisdictions can, increase their knowledge of the procurement and the sort of the contracting practices that that obviously occur once these disasters take place like what what are those those procurement and contracting practices that our, our audience should be made aware of yeah it's a great question so you know i think what happens um in my experience, my experience after disaster happens is that uh, a lot of communities get paralyzed or uh, they start uh, doing things that are outside their legal authority. And so one of those areas is contracting. Uh, you know, just because a disaster happens in that, in that community doesn't mean that the rules and regulations at the local county or state government do not exist. And so I think it's important to, to uh, again, in the preparedness phase, understand uh, are, are there different authorities to contract at the local level? And what we do at FEMA is we look at uh, those procurements that, uh, that 
are doing disaster contracting, and we want to ensure that they're following their uh, local rules uh, for contracting. And then for federal reimbursement, there are some things to look at. Uh, uh, two CFR 200 uh, in particular is one of those uh, areas that we look at to make sure that the procurement, the federal procurement rules and regulations are in there in, in terms of disaster contracting. And we have uh, resources available, uh, advanced uh, disaster assistance uh, procurement teams, uh, PDAT teams that can uh, be made available through state partners to uh, come to the community to do some training ahead of time or when the disaster happens, provide that just in time training to the community to ensure that again, uh, what they're doing is, is uh, gonna be sufficient for federal reimbursement. And that you know may uh, again be applicable, not just to FEMA, but to any uh, federal funding uh, resource that that community is going after to make sure that they're following those rules correctly. Again, one of the, uh, one of the big mistakes that we see is uh, you know uh, community uh, that doesn't have a sole source contracting ability to do a sole source or they're in, entering to unreasonable cost because they didn't solicit a number of, uh, uh, didn't do a, a request for proposal in RFP and get uh, go through the competitive bid process and then we find those costs potentially unreasonable. And so I think it really uh, spending some time in, in the preparedness phase to understand uh, are there different rules uh, on a local uh, declare or state declared disaster and what those rules are and then uh, making sure those department heads who are making uh, those contract decisions, whether it's you know the first responder community or public works, that they're what they're doing is uh, uh, legally sufficient and have the documentation to support the actions that they're taking at the time that they're doing it. It's incredible advice. Um, so in in wrapping up today, Robert, would you mind just you know providing any key takeaways for those that are listening today. I know we talked about the types, we talked about the preparedness, and we talked about the team and sort of the execution and some of the best practices that you should be made aware of prior to something like that, like this happening. But what, what would be other key takeaways, if any, for our, for our listeners today? No, I, I think it's just really to take action, right? I think you have to recognize again uh, that uh, most of our communities are in a uh, hazard threat area. Again, whether that's wildland fires, flooding, uh, hurricanes, uh, typhoons, and in, in, in some circumstances that's volcanic, there's a lot of hazards out there and most communities uh, have a variety of hazards. So understand the hazard and the risks that your community face, putting a plan together to uh, mitigate the effects of those uh, hazards within the community and really start formulating uh, plans and it's always better to do that before the disaster. Very difficult for a local community to start thinking about the recovery when they have to respond to the actual event and then come up with a recovery plan. And so we're encouraging communities to really spend some time before disaster happens to start thinking about these things, to formulate their teams, to get some training uh, uh, and understand their gaps. So when they have a plan, and they so when they understand their gaps, they can institute their plans right away. I also, you know, want to mention that there are a number of resources out there, again, uh, that exist at the, uh, you know, in emergency management at the county, state level, but also at FEMA, we have a number of uh, disaster financial management resources. We have a disaster financial management guide. Uh, we also have one for COVID-19 recovery. We have uh, grants management capacity. We have procurement disaster assistance teams, and then we uh, periodically offer technical assistance resources to communities. Uh, in regards to to these uh, these areas I've, I've mentioned. And so again, there are resources out, out there. I would encourage communities to take advantage of those resources. 
uh, outreach to other uh, communities that they know of that experience disasters learn from what uh, has happened with uh, those communities. A lot of communities develop after action reports and lessons learned from devastating events. I think it's important that uh, as a community of practice that we learn from other communities that were, were impacted. Uh, and so we don't make the same mistakes again. Uh, and so, uh, and, and it's been my experience that those communities that unfortunately have gone through a significant event uh, are, are more than willing to spend time with other governments to explain you know, their process and what they've done. And, and there are, uh, are amazing best practices out there uh, for communities uh, that, uh, that they can take advantage of. So they're not starting um, uh, you know, uh, with nothing. There, there is work that's been done out there. And so I think uh, I would encourage you know, community members to take advantage of that. And then, you know, again, I think one other thing I would mention just in terms of uh, preparedness is, you know, we're talking about local government preparedness, but I think, again, uh, even, you know, local government employees can be impacted uh, by disaster, right? And so also making sure there are programs and initiatives to, uh, you know, have those essential workers come back and, and how are, what's their family, uh, you know, preparedness and making sure they're taking appropriate actions. Part of that is, if you want those people at the table at the time of disaster, you have to communicate to let them know that they're part of the team and what the expectations are so they can make you know, preparations uh, if they're, uh, they themselves are impacted by the disaster. That's great. That's great. And, and thanks for sharing those, those resources. And we'll have a link to those resources that Robert specifically mentioned down in the comments of this video uh, that you can access anytime. And if you do have any other questions for, for Robert after we, um, after this conversation today, we'd be happy to connect and, and help educate and get some answers to those those comments or questions that you may have. Well, um, honestly, Robert, thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate you jumping on today. Thanks for your time. Uh, this is a, a really important topic. We've talked about similar other similar topics on this show exactly, whether it be cybersecurity or natural disaster preparedness and planning. Um, you know, prepare or recovery actually starts before they take place. So I appreciate you driving that home today. Thanks for all of your insight. For our listeners, thanks so much for joining us uh, for another episode of Local Government Insights Podcast, Modernizing Government Leadership. Um, stay tuned for more local government news and insights to come. We look forward to having you join us next time. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Local Government Insights, Modernizing Government Leadership. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.